we don't have enough money, the teachers are overworked, you can't trust the students because they're going to abuse it and break it. All of which, in my humble opinion, are unacceptable excuses for creating an education system that is fit for purpose for the 21st century. Hi, and welcome to Changing Lives Through Learning from Open Awards, a podcast dedicated to discussing educational topics and success stories. I'm Matt Jackson. And I'm Julie Goodwin. Today, we are discussing learning technology and innovation in education with the inspirational Jonathan Bishop. Hello, Jonathan. Lovely to have you with us today. So to get started, tell us a bit about yourself and your background. Yeah, great to be with you. Thank you. I'm uh, Jonathan Bishop. I'm the CEO and executive head teacher for Cornerstone Academy Trust. So I'm a teacher by background and um, I still um, do a little bit of teaching occasionally. So um, although as a small academy trust um, of four schools on the edge of Exeter, um, my role now is very wide and varied in, in running that. Um, not only do we have four primary schools, um, each of those schools is a Microsoft Showcase school, and we really run them as one school for campuses. So we're using technology. We've got one-to-one devices for everybody, that's staff and children. So that's probably nearly 2,000 devices uh, built um, by in Intune, a Microsoft product in the cloud that deploys the devices and every child within the trust gets given a pen, a pencil, a ruler and a computer. In addition to that though, um, we are responsible for one of the 34 English hubs in the country, uh, providing support and training to schools and staff around early reading and phonics. Um, we're responsible for a science learning partnership, so a big focus on training teachers to deliver uh, science and STEM-based, project-based learning where that technology comes to the fore. We deliver on the computing hub and um, we're also a behaviour hub for the DfE. So um, we'd like to think that we are using technology to help us to innovate in the delivery of high quality education um, to the children within the trust, but more widely um, in the work that we're doing with schools across the country. Excellent. So um, within that, um, are you talking about um, being innovative? Is that to do with blended learning as well as using the technology in a blended sense? Absolutely. So I think um, obviously through uh, lockdown, many schools went into that virtual learning environment um, and um, we were in a good position to be able to hand out many of our devices and take our learning um, straight online and to use Microsoft Teams and 365 to build a learning environment that enabled us to um, deliver that remote virtual learning um, but in a live and real way so every lesson of every day scheduled timetabled with live lessons live interaction um, but coming out of that we obviously had really thought through those experiences in the way that said how could that change the way we practice um, now we're back at school 
And so that term blended, we really started to think about. And it's the not just blending um, some children at home virtually with some people in school, in person. And that sort of shifted, you know, in lockdown, everyone at home bar a few in the classroom to now everyone at school bar a few at home where they might still have COVID and be working remotely. Um, but actually really thinking about what blended means. And so um, blending is what what is it we're bringing together? It is virtual and in person. And so we're looking at the classrooms and saying, can we design them in a way that makes that simple, intuitive and easy to use so that every lesson is um, scheduled into the calendar of the child that they might join it remotely. But we're also then saying, well, that means we potentially could blend um, by bringing our schools together. So you're in a classroom, but you're delivering that lesson to multiple classrooms. Mm -hmm. We're also blending age groups. So it could be that what we're doing is saying this lesson would be appropriate for this group of children from across multiple age groups. So an example for you, we currently uh, teach computer coding to children in say year five, six, but we will teach that across the four schools. We may have 180 children in the lesson and we might start off by delivering um, that to all of the children, that input, but then we might split out into four different groups. The teachers that are doing that might be sat at a desk in an office sharing their screen as though it were in a, a remote education. But in the classroom where they're sat with their one-to-one -one device, they have a Microsoft Surface headset. So it's a noise reduction headset with a boom mic, means that they can participate in that lesson input. But when they're then busy, engaged in a smaller group targeted at their stage of development, their knowledge, their um, experience. When they're stuck, they could put a virtual hand up and ask for help in that smaller class. Or they might be in a physical classroom. Well, they are in a physical classroom and they put their hand up, their real hand up, and a teacher comes across and sits beside them and works with them. So what we're actually here doing is blending a traditional classroom where a primary school classroom with their friends that they go out to play with, with their class teacher, but bringing subject specialists into that room and getting them to collaborate in a wider group of children from other schools within the trust. So when you start to define blended learning, it's a lot more than virtual and um, in person. What we also do is record those lessons. So because every lesson is being recorded, you've now got the ability for catch up. Mm -hmm. And if what you do is you uh, create the work that you want them to do into a notebook, you've got a digital textbook. And mm -hmm. if you embed into it what you want them to have watched, read, understood before they arrive in the lesson, and then through the assignment, the work you want them to do afterwards, it's not just about discrete lessons now. It means that children 
are able to arrive having watched a video, answered a set of questions with a pre-existing knowledge, have that specialist input, go away and work collaboratively with their peers, submit an assignment, have it work marked, and when they go, I can't quite remember what we said, or I went out to a music lesson and I've come back, re-watch the lesson. So what we're doing is we're blending um, in-person to um, remote catch-up. You, you might call it um, the idea that you are doing that live experience in a collaborative way down to working individually mm -hmm. in a remote, personal, self-directed way. So what you can see is when you talked about blending, we're really trying to work with our teachers and our staff to to say, what is it you're blending? And you're mm -hmm. blending a variety of strategies and approach approaches to make sure that we can personalize that learning journey for every single child whilst still being in a primary classroom with a primary classroom teacher. So if you've got a subject expert who's, who's delivering online and then you've got several staff in the classroom um how big are the class sizes and and how do you organize that, that those staff to be there and, and how does that all work together yeah so i think that's a, a, a really good question because it a child would come to school in one of our schools and run into the classroom um and would be um, um greeted by the teacher and it's a class of 30 children with a teacher however many of our schools are paired classrooms they're two form entry so we actually register them as 60 children with two teachers in fact we've built classrooms that are designed to have 60 children in it so a class would be 60 that might have three or four adults in the room. What, what that really means then is if you're doing a an input to those children, you might have one person that is pitching the project, creating the hook, explaining the concept, and it's very um, appropriate to have all 60 children and one teacher. However, what you might do is team teach that mm -hmm. so you one person a bit like reading the news starts off and another chips in and then you get that collaborative uh, blended style of two different teachers that can create banter can have that a targeted approach one of them might say to a group of children why don't you come with me and we do a breakout session so one teacher might then be left with 30 and another take 30 or it could be one's taken 15 out the other's got 45 what you're doing is blending again you're creating that experience but when you then say well actually what we're now going to do is deliver this to um, across four schools that's 240 children in a year group you could have a pair of teachers with cameras in the classroom that are um, 
streaming that lesson where there's that interaction with the children physically sat in the room, whilst the other classrooms, the other 180 children are joined remotely, either off their individual surfaces or large screen projection in their room, and you're teaching all 240. Mm -hmm. But when they're getting on with the activities, then you can break it down into smaller groups. So mm -hmm. you've got total flexibility from doing a one-to-one -one tutoring exp experience of adult with child on a Teams call to a breakout group. Actually, they don't break out the room. They're in the room. They put their headphones on and a teacher's working with a group of children in a classroom, but virtually through to teaching 60 children teaching 240 children do you know if you take every child into one big room and teach them most schools do that every day they call it an assembly yeah. and if you get a visiting speaker we we were privileged enough to have michael morpurgo the author come and visit and he read his new story that he had written um, um and it's about an uh, a charity that dear to his heart called Farms for City Children. And he wrote a, a story all about an experience to the farm. And he came and read it to 500 children sat um, in one of the schools. But with that hall, we have embedded um, high quality uh, cameras fed back into a video mixing system through Teams. We could connect the other schools and using microphones they could all ask questions they could all participate but we then were able to put it out and we had over forty thousand children in one lesson may not call it a lesson but it was wasn't it it was the reading of a story by a world famous author to forty thousand children so you could say we're blending learning from a one-to-one -one tutorial through to a class of forty thousand children that's amazing. amazing. It is amazing, <laughs> isn't it, Matt? I think it's just really, and I know we're going a little bit off the script, but it's really amazing that how you're using the technology. And what we're witnessing is that um, a lot of educators are trying to do the same old thing, but do it with technology. Um, and it's it's kind of like grinding everything back down to a, a drudgery, really. Whereas what you're doing is you're taking it and really moving it and, and bringing that technology in as another member of staff that can really help you support your learners. And uh, uh, conversely, in FE, it's exactly the same kind of thing. Actually, it's, it's more difficult in FE because you might get a really super specialised subject um, for example, it could be somewhere in the area of logistics and it could be automating automation in logistics. Not everybody knows about that, but if you can share that um, knowledge of that tutor who is the best resource ever in the room with more people and more learners, I think that's well, just I, really, really good. Yeah, I think that's a fascinating because uh, it's a fascinating proposition, the fact mm. that uh, for more remote and rural communities, but equally so where there are subject specialisms, where recruiting the 
expertise in the teacher or the lecturer that as the children become young people and young adults and actually lifelong learners, that engagement which is um, with the uh, the right person that may not be in your locality and using though the live lesson model I think opens up many possibilities you imagine mm -hmm. uh, secondary schools with a sixth form and they're really struggling to offer the range of courses and be financially viable mm -hmm. but if you can bring together a group of um, sixth form sixth forms in schools maybe built around a bigger sixth form college offering the breadth of the courses streamed out in a live interactive way back to the remote rather than students at, um, at secondary or even fe having an hour's bus ride to get into the large economically viable college you're able to use the technology in, in a real way. And I think coming out of COVID, where that forced that level of innovation, mm -hmm. a lot of people have gone back to normal yeah. and normal has said, really, where do you use your technology? You use your technology for homework. And so for many, what they've done is a, a learning platform. What they really mean by that is a platform for assigning homework and informing parents and students mm -hmm. when it's due and it's discreet from what they're doing in the classroom. Now, what I've been talking to you about actually is what people in the past have called flipping the learning. Yeah. Actually, traditionally, it's, it's prep. What we're saying is before you come to my course, here's some pre-learning. Here is some reading, some uh, video watching that we want you to do so it might be a short five minute video clip but what you can now do is embed um, within it a form a questionnaire a quiz so you can have some pre-learning watch a video answer a series of questions you arrive have that lesson input um, it's recorded, so you can go back, pause it, watch it, search it, catalog it. But you've got that live interaction in it. You've got your response tools. So you can, rather than just saying, turn to your partner, your buddy, and have a conversation, what you can do is force them into a breakout room. You can have response systems that gauges their learning. You bring them all back together again for the next input. When they then the lesson comes to an end, as it were. The assignment is then linked back to those resources and that recording so that you get a sequence mm -hmm. of learning opportunities that come together into the module, into the, the overarching syllabus, if you want to call it that. So instead of there's the learning that takes place in a traditional classroom and here's some homework. Oh, you haven't handed it in in a detention or you've done your homework, let me now mark it. And it becoming an onerous exercise, both for the student to go away and do it and for the teacher to mark it. What we're doing is extending in a flexible way their learning before, during, post, 
but also the flexibility that says I, I missed it or I want to pick that up later in the day. And it's not schoolwork, homework. It's work. And mm -hmm. you can work flexibly. But what that starts to do is say, well, teacher contracts now are going to be changed because we're not just looking for people who are going to turn up at half past eight and go home at four o'clock and take a pile of books home to mark. What we're talking about is people who might be uh, working remotely, but supporting students in that lesson. You can have people who can have um, do a morning stint, do an afternoon stint. You can have um, a, a totally new way of working. And so coming out of lockdown, lots of us talked about a new normal. Mm -hmm. The reality is the new normal for most people has become trying to do what we did pre-COVID, but with higher staff absence, with more anxiety amongst often learners and students, with more mental health issues and the system feeling fraught. Mm -hmm. If we can create a new normal that blends the power of the technology to transform the workforce and the expectations of the students, it will match the needs of the learner where you could be more anxious. And maybe it doesn't matter if you miss that lesson, but you can catch up on it. You, we can be more targeted, more flexible. You can provide that one-to-one -one, uh, support tutorial while still teaching 180 students where that lesson input is put. And that degree of flexibility allows you to adapt your curriculum to meet the individual needs to get better outcomes. And mm -hmm. I think that's where we should be thinking um, as an education system of what should be the new normal. It's what we as adults want. We want flexibility. We want um, to be able to adapt when and how we work around the pressures of our home life. But we want to compartmentalize young learners in 9 to 3.30 <laughs> with mm. a homework punishment system. I totally agree, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I was just thinking there while you're talking. Um, I, I know the big uh, thing that's come out of COVID as well is, is as lots of schools were closed, then we, we know that uh, learners are behind in some areas. And obviously what you're saying is your solution actually can um, accommodate and fill that parts where they are behind. And uh, that got me thinking, well, that's that could be for and it, to, to um, for measuring progress from an Ofsted point of view. That's what they are actually look, talking about is trying to, you know, is the teachers being responsible for looking at where those children are falling behind and being able to, to move them and progress them forward. Mm. And I think that by able you know by having those other facilities there to either rewatch or uh, revise or go over or have, have individual support you've you've developed the technology to be able to support and underpin that that um that what offset are actually requiring in a really creative way i know that i've spoken to some teachers who have heard the new uh, ch the changes from offset but are, are not quite sure on well I've still got, you know, 30 children in the class. I haven't got any other support. I can't move away. I can't do this, can't do that. And that, that can restrict them. And 
just from listening to what you've said, I just thought um, maybe feel quite uh, refreshed and uh, empowered to, to think, well, there is a way forward and it would be lovely that your scene becomes the, the like you say, the new normal. So do, do you think that that is a possibility for in the future that, that, people, that schools will take that on board? Um, I, I guess as we look to the future, my, my, my maybe pessimistic uh, view is, is that change is hard. And when it's forced upon us, um, we may rise to the challenge, but human nature often allows us to or forces us to go back to the tried and tested method. Um, let, let me give you a really practical example. I, I've worked with quite a few schools around their strategy for uh, implementing technology effectively within education. And when you start to um, dig into the beliefs of teachers, it always astounds the school leaders when a member of staff in a collaborative discussion around these things opens up with confidence and says, I don't believe the technology is right for students. And there's a whole significant proportion of people who have an intrinsic belief that it is a hindrance and a uh, a waste of time to what is a very centuries old model of education so i actually think the change management aspect of will this become a new normal or reality is nothing to do with technology it's everything to do with teachers and that vision for how schools can and should be operating in the 21st century in a post-COVID world. Um, and so the cynic in me probably says, I don't think it's coming anytime soon to many school places. And that's not saying, hey, wow, aren't I innovative for thinking like this? I just think it's a risk that many school leaders don't want to take. It's a risk financially, it's a risk with exam results, it's a risk with the staff not wanting it, not wanting to move in that way. And so you've got to have a really clear and strong vision um, about its benefits, how it's going to empower students, make a difference to their outcomes. And then, you've, like any new system, you've got to believe it, believe in it, adapt it, work it, train it, implement it. It's all about change management in staff mm -hmm. it's got nothing to do with technology so do you think then um maybe that's where teacher training might need to come in to to sort of um support that that sort of change really obviously if you've got new teachers coming in and new teachers who are a bit more comfortable with technology at the start but it's if they don't go into a school and see those things in practice as they're training then they become into that um, institutional model of we've done things as we've always done. So do you think that it's maybe that's the universities to um, to look at how they implement that? Yeah, I, I, I think it's you need everything, don't you? You need mm -hmm. to be working at a strategic level 
Um, and what I mean by that is government. You know, mm. government has got to be looking at how the technologies bring about efficiencies, gains, benefits within the education sector as we try to equip people for their futures. Mm -hmm. And we all know, there's no debate about it, that the use of technology is intrinsically woven into daily life for everybody. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to be adapting these technologies um, to support education, it's not something that you bolt on at age 18. It's mm. something that should be uh, seen as the tool for great educators to support the next generation. So you've then got to have, um, whether it's um, whichever the organization, a university, a college, a school, a multi-academy trust, you've got to have that vision and strategy because to do this, you've got to start looking at your contracts, your budgets, your investment in the technology. You've got to have a clear um, vision and a strategy for implementing that vision. Otherwise, teachers come into something which is a, a mix mash. You know, you get the the teacher that's very passionate about it, that's utilizing it, and you've got the other teacher that can't see the point in it. There's no clarity, there's no drive. You've got to get that top level buy-in. But then as you develop and train, not just new teachers, but existing teachers, it should be fundamentally, in my view, a core part of what they're doing. It should be training them to work in these new ways as a tool for the educator. So it's it's not training them in Google Classroom or Microsoft Teams or, or PowerPoint or whatever it is. What we're training them on is the um, pedagogy of teaching and learning about how to create those learning opportunities that are going to create purpose and relevance so that that content is adapted to the needs of the child. We're talking about upskilling the teacher workforce to utilize the latest technology as a powerful tool for their teaching and the learners that they might become um, the skillful, confident, successful individuals that equips them for their life. And that's a, a massive mind shift from just simply following the syllabus, delivering the knowledge to pass the test. Now, none of us are denying that's still a core thread that needs to be there. I'm not saying that we don't want a knowledge rich curriculum and that we we are not getting children to be able to um, assimilate that knowledge and develop the skills that they might pass an exam and progress. But we all know that is only one element of education. And if you throw out the possibilities of technology because we're going to have a more traditional approach, actually you're losing a whole important aspect of our children's future. It mm. is interwoven into their future lives, into the fabric of society, the effective use of technology. Yeah.
It's, I mean, certainly going forward, uh, you know, you're at, at, at the younger stage of um, learner development. Um, we tend to come in at open awards, sort of like at the uh, FE stage and further education and higher education side of things. But certainly the learners that you've got in your classroom today, the jobs they might do in the future don't exist now. And I think that's the kind of wake up call really for all of us, isn't it? That we need to perhaps relook at the way that we do education and also as well what we should be teaching into that. Um, what kinds of things as well as like you're saying, how do we prove things? And we're, we're very evidence based as well in, in um, further and higher education, too. So it needs to be there. But I think really I we, we say this quite often about e-learning because it's kind of invisible and you can't see it. I think that the main thing with it, I think you've touched upon, uh, Jonathan, is is to see this impact um, of, of what it's it's doing. And I think and the benefits, I think impact and benefits are really important, perhaps in making that shift, uh, making that move. Um, and I just wondered, you know, looking at what you've done, how, how are you measuring impact? Uh, with what you've done have you got um you know something that you could share with us regarding that that'd be great yeah i i think there's a million dollar question mm. that says does technology bring about better outcomes for children's lives and we've been looking for that um that little nugget that that piece of gold that says yes it makes that life difference chance I think, in my opinion, we don't get too excited about does the handwriting pen change life chances? Mm. And I don't wish to diminish it to that because the cost of a pen versus the cost of a, a device is phenomenally different. What we actually say is makes a difference to children is high quality teaching mm. with a great curriculum that is matched and ad and adapted to meet the needs of those learners to give them the best outcomes. So what it isn't is I bought a thousand pound computer and wow, they got better exam results. That is a, um, um, a too simplistic approach, isn't it? Mm -hmm. What I would say in terms of impact though is where children are able to really engage in their learning before, during and after, and it's matched and relevant because we've got a good diagnostic assessment system, we've got highly uh, capable teachers that are able to work in this new way, then obviously you're going to be get better outcomes. But what is it that made the difference? It's the teacher. Mm -hmm. it, it's you may have all of the latest technology in an operating uh, room. What you want is a surgeon that has developed the skills to use that latest technology built upon the research that has informed it to save that life. Who saved the life? the surgeon, but they use the technology as the tool to deliver it. And I think sometimes we're seeing it as the investment in the tool to 
replace almost the teacher with this online virtual learning, like we're all going into isolation. What did we find? We found people really struggled with lockdown. They, mm. The social interactions were lost in the same way, even now with virtual learning, even though I've been talking about it. Now, we want the real in person. You still want to go outside and whether you're an adult and go for a round of golf or cycle on a bike ride or mm -hmm. as a child, we still teach those things. Yeah. It's fundamental that we get children socially interaction, interacting, but communicating with others is where technology comes in into its place. So we built a television studio and it's full green screen so you can step into it and therefore step back into time or into outer space or over to Africa. You can turn it into a newsroom. So our year five children produce Cornerstone Television. And every week in 4K, they broadcast live via a live stream television. They've got roaming journalists. They've written the scripts. They uh, created the backgrounds. They're there and they report the news. And, you know, every child within the trust sits down and watches that live news broadcast. And what we're doing is bringing a community of thousands mm -hmm. of learners together, led by the learners, mm -hmm. using the power of video to share those experiences of the news that's happening within, within our trust. What that is doing is not only um, teaching them how to write a script, how to be a journalist, how to talk confidently, um, how to write a, uh, an interview and to interview someone, but it's also creating a culture and an ethos around belonging to the school and belonging mm. to the community. That impacts on well-being. That creates a, a model of learning behaviours. It creates a wider community that's proud of, of the school and the trust. So the investment in the television studio, people might say, well, well, why would you spend the money on that and take the room? Wouldn't it be better if you hired a teacher to teach them reading? Actually, it has empowered a whole school community to come together in a collaborative way. And they've had to teach them to read as part of that project. Mm -hmm. So seeing technology as a tool for teaching and learning is more than I'm going to write my essay in a Word document and submit mm -hmm. it to be marked. It's yeah. using the tools to create a community of learners. What's that called? A school. Yeah. <laughs> to create your school of the 21st century, you've got to put the technology into the very fabric of what you do. We are no longer in Victorian Britain. We're in the 21st century. So, Absolutely. So obviously, where would you start if you was wanting to delve into this journey then is it, is it you know what if there was some people out there who 
were really enthusiastic about it is it that you have to get to the the top of your um organization to be able to do that or is there any other places where people can start a a, a movement on that really i think any passion and vision to achieve something you've got to begin somewhere mm -hmm. and actually sometimes you know I, I can feel frustrated like many of us that you can uh, create systems which require a meeting to organize the meetings <laughs> to have a plan that we might have a strategy that we need to meet about nothing ever happens so in my opinion as a teacher at heart, you, you say, would this make a difference, whatever this is? So that could be, I've, I've got a, um, a raspberry pie, a BBC microbit, and I've got one <laughs> tablet. And you say, let's set up a challenge that is going to get children to uh, control a device. What you find is that in the hands of one creative teacher with a small group of students, you ignite a spark that brings about a change that is driven by the student's passion and innovation and desire to learn. And they solve problems that we never saw coming. What then happens is the motivation by that teacher and those students becomes infectious and so where do you begin begin somewhere get a device and see with an open mind how it can change the outcomes and the expectations of those learners when you start to see that what you say is is i want more of it and you say well shall we give a class of tablets and micro bits and then you say well we'll perhaps better give every child a tablet and a micro bit and you start somewhere and it leads and necessity is the mother of invention so when you see great things happening with children and you say i want more of it what then starts to happen is the leaders go because the students are saying I want it, I'm going to have to find a way to change my budget to invest in this because I can see the impact it's having. So begin somewhere, measure its impact, be open minded to change, and you will be the driver of change in your organization. If you're not at the top with the power to um, to set the budget to invest in the way that you want, Prove that the investment is needed by bringing about change in a small way and it will cascade through your organisation. Excellent. Thank you for that. Um, have, have you got anything else to add, Julie? Do you want to? I was just wondering, you know, I, I think we've touched upon most of the things because it, it's been really, really great to have have your input Jonathan we can't thank you enough and um, but I think you know you, you touched upon their starting somewhere with everything uh, have you got sort of like maybe three top tips for um you know anybody who's who's doing this where, where the focus should be or how, how to keep saying in all of this even um you know what would be your three top tips really for 
for going forward and, and using it technology innovatively? Um, a good question. Three top tips. Let me have a think. I think, first of all, probably my top tip would be um, you need to organisationally really have a clear strategy and vision. Sometimes people think I need to do this investment and they they start by thinking I need to buy some devices. But they don't really know what devices, how they're going to manage and deploy those devices, who should have those devices, let alone how they're going to be used. So mm -hmm. I think the first thing for me is think through your vision and strategy, because if you don't have one, it's doomed to be a waste of money and a failure. I think, secondly, it is do not underestimate the importance of um, the change um, that this is going to be to working practices for your staff. And so one belief of that is what you've got to do is um, train the teachers. The problem with training the teachers is if you've got teachers who are a little bit cynical about the approach, aren't particularly bought into it, and they go on some training that they don't particularly engage in or miss, it's doomed to failure. So really think through your strategy for the championing and the driving of this initiative through a targeted, piloted, drive team. You've got to have your champions that are going to prove its success. So point number two for me is really think about your change management. It's not a simple training course. I think probably the third one, which might really should be the first one, is at the heart of this. Hear the voice of your learners. Mm. It's your students that it's their future. Mm. They're the change drivers. They're the innovators. It's not the school leaders or the school teachers. See where the students want to go. Let them be the driving force and the others will follow suit. But if you have them as the as the people that are going to help inform your vision and they're part of that drive team and they're the people who are on the receiving end of what they're going to get, you'll be astounded at how the innovation will escalate. Invariably, people who don't want it to happen come up with all the reasons why it shouldn't happen. And the reasons are quite simple. We don't have enough money. The teachers are overworked. You can't trust the students because they're going to abuse it and break it. All of which, in my humble opinion, are unacceptable excuses for creating an education system that is fit for purpose for the 21st century. If you'd like to join in the conversation, we'd love to hear from you. Search for at Open Awards on LinkedIn, Instagram or Twitter. Join us next time for more discussions on how we can change lives through learning.